Thank God today. And this is Pastor Adams, the president and the founder of Truth Matters Ministries. And we're just so delighted once again uh, to be your host in attendance of this very vital ministry of defending the gospel of Jesus Christ and declaring his message to a lost and dying world. And we've just finished a series entitled Salvation Principles. And I tell you, if you really, really want to know the details and the power of what the gospel has provided and the redemption that's been provided, take time to go back and really listen to those episodes. It'll really be a blessing to your heart and your soul. And we're going to be going into a new episode to a new topic, and it's called Creation Principles. Creation Principles. And before we get into these new episodes, we want to pause and pray. Now, Father, we thank you for life today. We thank you for all things. We thank you that you are the captain of our ship. You are the pilot of our lives. We thank you, Lord God, that we can find safety in you. We can find refuge in you. We thank you, Lord God, that your hedge is encamped all around about us. Your angels are encamped around about us. You told us that surely goodness and mercy would follow us all the days of our life. We thank you that we can rest assured that your blood, it covers us. Your mercy covers us. And we're just so thankful today, Lord, that you stay with us. You're standing by. You abide. You said that I'll be with you always. And one thing, Lord, I know is that it's just not in one particular way, but it's in all ways. Not just speaking about your eternality, but it's speaking about in every situation, whatever way we find ourselves in. You said that you'll be there. If we're up, you said you'll be there. When our money is flowing, you said you'll be there. When we can't even change a dime, you said you're still there. When we're strong and we're robust and we have perfect health, you're there. And Lord, when we're on our sick bed, you said you're still there. When we have friends galore and everything is fine, you said you'll be there. But when no one answers the phone and I'm all alone, Lord, you said you'll still be there. And we're so thankful for that today. We thank you that, Lord, you always are faithful. Great is thy faithfulness unto us. You let someone be blessed today. Cause your people to be enriched and equipped and fortified that they might be able to stand and defend and declare your gospel to a very untoward and rebellious generation. And it's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're so thankful for all of our ministry partners and influencers. So many people that have really touched and blessed us over the years, men such as Ron Rhodes and great men of God and ministries such as Ravi Zacharias and David Turek ministries, the ministries of Hank Hanegraaff and the Christian Research Institute, the founder of the Christian Research Institute, Dr. Walter Martin, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, great men such as John Ankenberg ministries out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're so thankful for the ministries of Leighton Flowers, the great ministries of uh, here in Atlanta. We have great ministries such as uh, the pastor of Changing a Generation, Dr. Morton, 
And we're just so thankful for so many people who pray for us. And we just continue, ask you to continue to pray for us. And I, I just have to say this before we get into our teaching. I'm so mindful of the words of Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal said that truth is so obscure in these days. And he said that falsehoods are so well established that unless men really love the truth, you can't find it. It has to be something that you desire. We just don't want to have answers. We don't want to just get a tick mark or to fill a slot, but we want it to be true. We want to make sure that we're established upon what Jesus said, what's right, what's true. And so true are the words of Patrick Fitzgerald, who was the lead prosecutor in the famous Scooter Libby trial. He said that truth is the engine of our justice system. And here in America, if we don't have truth, he says we don't have anything. Adam Schiff, who was giving his last final remarks during the President Donald Trump inquiry for uh, for his uh, perjury and one thing that he said was he says that right matters he said truth matters he said without truth he says we're lost and indeed truth does matter today and we are going to be jumping into our discussion and our teaching on creation principles. I have a question. Have you ever been in a conversation or heard a question like, hey, do you believe in God? And if you do believe in God, where does God come from? I've heard that question numerous times in my lifetime. Many people who present this question to you, they present it because they don't really believe in God or They just can't comprehend that someone can be an eternal creator. How did you handle it? How did you answer it when people did ask you that question? And then what questions actually developed in your mind when it was presented to you? And during this teaching on creation principles, we're going to ensure that you as a member of the body of Christ can know for sure that there is a creator and that you can very confidently and you can very eloquently and clearly demonstrate and answer why you believe that there is an eternal creator. I can recall when I was in elementary school, our science teacher handed a large, big, thick, heavy science book to me. And in the middle of the book, it had all of these uh, clear pages inside. And it was full of charts and it had illustrations of amoebas and protozoas. It had transparencies of skeletons and anatomy transparencies. And I can recall the emotion in the Russians' spiritual collision when I turned the page and I saw this color fold out of what looked like a little monkey. Then it was a little orangutan. And then next to that was a larger ape. Then what they call the miss, the missing link. And then from there, a more upright looking creature, which may be known as the Neanderthal man. Then from there, a more stand upright 
creature which they call the Java Man, then a more stand-up creature that they call the Piltdown Man, to the Cave Man, then finally Modern Man. When I saw that, it, it showed a progression and it gave an indication that, wow, Modern Man came from monkeys. I mentally tried to reconcile that apparent scientific depiction of evolution with my family and my experience rearing me to believe that there was a creator and that creator was revealed in Holy Scripture. The Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth and all that dwells therein. It taught that the animals were to replenish after their kind and that they would maintain continuity within their own species. The science book appeared to teach me that species evolved, which means that it went through an unfolding process of change and gradual development. Is the science in the Bible's teachings of creation in opposition? That's what I began to think. The answer to this question is pivotal in determining the integrity of either. Many persons who claim to be secular humanists and atheists and skeptics and agnostics, they suggest that intellect and science discredit the creationist position. Many skeptics and Humanists hang their academic hats on the premise that biology and science has refuted creation and therefore has disproved God. Now, our goal in these Truth Matters podcasts is to present truths that will allow you as a listener to arrive at a rational conclusion concerning the origin and the development of our world and universe. To that end, We at Truth Matters will chart our course towards that destination. Over our upcoming podcast, we're going to examine what has God said about creation in the Bible? What are the primary sources that perpetuate evolution? What is science and what is its source? We're also going to be looking at what has science and scientists said about creation? And then, what concepts and facts support creation? See, today, the Christian, when they are initially exposed to the Bible, they open the first page in Genesis 1 and 1, and this is what it says. God created, which means to cause to come into existence, to originate, to make it. God created the heavens and the earth. In that same chapter, it reads in verse 27, God created man in his image. And in verse 31, it goes on to say, God saw everything he made or created, and he said, this is good. Psalms 8 reminds us that the heavens were the work of God's fingers. The moon, the stars were established by God. I'm so sorry, Carl Sagan, but the scripture says that God made it. Job 38 says, and it speaks of God asking Job, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where was Job and where were you, Job, when I made the seas? 
or made clouds and lightning. Psalms 24 informs us that the earth is God's and all that dwells therein. Psalms 146 and 6 tells us that God made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. Ecclesiastes 12 and 1 says, Remember also your creator. You're not your own. Isaiah 40, 28 tells us God is the creator of all the ends of the earth. Romans 1, 20 jumps in and testifies that men serve the creature more than the creator. Revelation 1 and 14 proclaims that Jesus was the beginning and the author of God's creation. So with so many texts stating that mankind the earth and the universe were created by God. The question arises, is the Bible reliable or authentic or inspired? Is it a divine generated manuscript or document? And if you're really unsure about that, I recommend that you go back and listen to our podcast on inerrancy of scripture. One of the most controversial and earth shaking events that took place in our history took place in 1859. When a gentleman named Charles Darwin published his notable book, Origin of the Species. Now, within the content of that book, it was assumed and it assumed that evidence was presented that disproved creation, God and the Bible. So what we're going to do in our podcast is we're going to look at the claims of Darwin and we'll let true facts draw its conclusion. The inspiration of Darwin in writing his book was the writings of some atheists by the name of Karl Marx. Hmm. Without presenting an exhaustive exposition on the origin of the species, in our podcast, we're going to focus on the central shortcomings of the theory of evolution. We're going to help you and our audience today to understand the shortcomings of evolution and discuss the paradigms of science and biology. We're going to ask and answer the questions, are they compatible with scripture and creation? Now, the origins of the species is not the central component of our discussion and exposition, but the position that many hold that there is no God. We use the classic term atheist to describe those who don't believe in God. The vast majority of those who classify themselves as atheists, they embrace or hold to the findings of the doctrines and teachings of Darwin. We at Truth Matters Ministries must mention a few problems with the atheist view that there is no God. Now to factually demonstrate that there is no God, I want y'all to pay attention here. That human being must possess attributes of God themselves, such as omniscience, meaning I know all things, they have to know all things, omnipresence, they have to be everywhere and they have to be omnipotent and have all power, which are well beyond human ability, as you all know. Let me provide an analogy. Now, let's just say a person said, I don't believe that there is a single diamond in the entire state of California. Now, if a person said that, they'd have to know information that a man could know in his own human ability. What is that? He'd have to know what was under the ground. 
He'd have to know everything that's beneath every river. He'd have to know every microorganism in every lake and ocean. Every single port, he'd have to know everything that was there. What was within and inside of every rock. What was inside of any and every drawer, container. What was on every human being's finger, in their ear, or hanging around their neck. I could disbelieve in the existence of diamonds in California, but I would have to possess really great characteristics of omniscience or have all knowledge to factually know that there are no diamonds in California. See, this is the problem that faces the atheist. One can easily say, I don't believe in God, meaning that there is no God. But to prove it and to prove that there is no God is quite a different dynamic. To factually prove that there is no God, one would have to have superhuman ability, such as knowing all things. You see what I'm getting at? The other side of the coin is, one can easily know diamonds exist by the personal experience of seeing, wearing, feeling, and owning gemologist certified diamonds. The believer in God has a supernatural document that's called the Bible and a personal experience of a relationship with the Savior of the Bible. The burden of proof lies with the atheists and with the skeptic and the agnostic. What we have consistently discovered is the proof is conspicuous by its absence. Now, Truth Matters Ministries embraces what is called the fact of creation And we engage in the proofs that support creation. And the first one we're going to look at today is one that's called cosmology. Cosmology. I want you to write that down. Now, to more accurately understand creationism, one must comprehend the genre of cosmology, which says that every effect has an adequate cause. The universe is an effect. I'm going to say it again. This huge, endless, dynamic universe that we have, this finite universe that we have, is in effect. Reason demands that whatsoever caused the universe must be greater than the universe. And we at the Truth Matters Ministries declare that that cause is God, who himself is the uncaused first cause. I'm going to say it again. That cause that created the universe is God, who is himself the uncaused first cause. As Hebrews 3, 4 puts it, every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Dr. Frank Turk, one of our really great ministry partners. He says, one of my favorite arguments for God's existence is what's called the Kalem cosmological argument. While this argument has historical roots, contemporary Christian philosopher Dr. William Lane Craig has popularized it more recently. Here's how the argument goes. It goes like this. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist 
Therefore, the universe has a cause. I would write this down. Nothing can't produce something or anything. What did you say, Pastor Adams? Nothing. It can't produce something or anything. After all, our own experiences and scientific observations tell us that things just don't pop up into existence uncaused. None of us, for example, has ever experienced a new Corvette just popping into existence in our driveways. As nice as that probably would be. But additionally, if things can pop into existence uncaused, then it remains inexplicable as to why this doesn't happen all the time. As one might imagine, most embrace this premise, although a few have sought to refute it over the years. Quentin Smith, for example, suggests that the most reasonable belief is that we came from nothing. He says that's reasonable. I don't see anything reasonable by it. By nothing and for nothing, he says that we exist. But I must confess, he said, I'm not sure I understand how this is possible. How did we come from nothing? How did nothing have the capability of causing anything at all? Now, if prior to the existence of the universe, nothing existed, including space, time, matter, or God, how did the universe come to be? People like Quentin Smith must violate everything we know about cause and effect relationships in our universe to adopt a position that something came from nothing. Even the very famous skeptic David Hume, he once wrote this. He remarked, I never asserted so absurd a proposition as to that anything might arise without a cause. Now, to get around this metaphysical impossibility, very famous skeptic Lawrence Krauss, he suggests that the universe came into being from nothing. But then he goes on to explain that nothing is really a quantum vacuum of fluctuating energy. And as many have already pointed out, Krauss equivocates on the word nothing. After all, a quantum vacuum of fluctuating energy isn't no thing, it's something. The absurdity of saying that nothing is a quantum vacuum of fluctuating energy. Well, if he's saying that's energy, then it's something. One still needs to explain how this vacuum came to be. Additionally, others have adopted the position or the premise. One is true for all things inside the universe, but it's not necessarily true of the universe itself. The problem with this view is that it commits the taxicab fallacy. That is to say, it adopts the standard cause and effect principle when it's convenient, but then it hops off like one would a, ta- a taxi. Once it gets to its desired destination, we jump off. Not only is this view logically inconsistent, it assumes that the causal principle is only true of the material world. But the cause and effect principle is a metaphysical principle in that it's true for all reality. Being cannot come from non-being. Say it again. Being 
cannot come from non-being. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. And with the few minutes that we have left in this podcast, we're going to talk about what's called cause and effect. Finally, the last objection to premise one usually comes in the form of the question, who caused God? That's the first question that I mentioned in this podcast. Who caused God? But this misunderstands the premise. The premise doesn't state that whatever exists has a cause. Rather, it states that whatever begins to exist has a cause. Did y'all catch that? When someone says, well, what caused God or where did God come from? You must be able to communicate very clearly that whatever exists has a cause. It doesn't mean that everything that exists has a cause, but rather it states that whatever begins to exist has a cause. There's a difference between what began to exist versus what just exists. And the theists have maintained that God never had a beginning. And that's what the Bible says. He exists eternally by necessity. If he doesn't, then he's not God. This is what we mean when we say God. If he owes his existence to an external cause, that external cause would be God. So asking the question, who caused God, doesn't help the skeptic get around the premise. Theists have maintained for millennia now that God is necessarily eternal. And to ask what caused him misunderstands our position as theists. The the universe, it began to exist. Now, since it's difficult to disprove the premise, many skeptics set the sights on another premise, which asserts that the universe began to exist. In a previous post, Dr. Frank Turek, he laid out a scientific evidence which suggests that the universe is not eternal. In this post, however, we want to focus on the philosophical reasons for rejecting a past eternal universe. To get around the premise, the skeptic must maintain that the physical universe has existed for all eternity and has thus existed for an infinite number of moments. However, while we use infinity in mathematical or theoretical worlds, Infinity in reality is impossible as it results in all sorts of logical absurdities. Think, for example, about a meter stick that you divide into halves forever. Could you divide the meter stick in half an infinite number of times? How do you know the point at which to cross the threshold of a natural number to infinity? And if you reach infinity, isn't it true? that you could subdivide the meter stick just one more time? Perhaps the most famous example of demonstrating the absurdity of infinity in reality is Dr. Hilbert's, he thought he had what was called a thought experiment. It's called Hilbert's Hotel. Hilbert told us to imagine a hotel with an infinite, infinite number of rooms. Additionally, he said to imagine that all the rooms were occupied, said that not a single room was vacant. Now, suppose a guest comes to the check-in desk and asks for a room. The manager says, yes, of course, you can have a room. He then proceeds to move the person in room one to room two, and then the person in room two to room three, and the person in room three to room four, and so forth until infinity. 
He then takes the new guests and places them in the vacant room, number one. But remember, before the guests showed up, the infinite number of rooms were already occupied. Now, Hilbert says we, that we should suppose an infinite number of guests show up to a fully occupied hotel asking for a room. Of course, the manager says. And then he proceeds to move the person to room one and room two and room three and room four and so on. In this example, we already had an infinite number of guests. We were able to add one more. So the equation will look something like infinity plus one equals infinity. In the second example, we had an infinite number of guests already staying in the hotel before, before adding another infinite number of guests. This equation would look like this. Infinity plus infinity equals infinity. Despite adding different amount of infinity to both equations, we still ended up with the same sum of infinity. The mathematical impossibility of such a hotel demonstrates the absurdity of an actual infinity in reality. So today, as we discuss creation principles and we talk about the cosmological position that supports creation, we just want you to, to, to really take time to tune in again as we continue in this very important aspect of creation principles. We thank God for you joining us. Remember, make sure that you maintain your priority in life. God is always a priority. Some things are not and they don't really matter. But remember this, the truth, it always matters. God bless you today.